know if you all have it out here. I don't know what you have out here. Um, but uh, the hymn, For the Beauty of the Earth, comes to mind. So it's not Southern. <laughs> I see heads. And it's a, for the beauty of the earth, for the beauty of the sky, for the love that from our birth over and around us lies. Lord of all, to thee we raise this our hymn of grateful praise. That comes up for me a lot in this just incredible planet that we've got and how grateful I am. And it doesn't matter whether I believe in God or not, if the words are nourishing to me and encouraging me to appreciate what's available here, it's of great value in the way I live my life and the way that I offer myself to others. Um, so everything that we offer is um, only an invitation. And I, when I heard Ty teach about the four parts of the novice handbook, I, I found it just perfect um, for what I was doing. So I offer it to you in that spirit, um, not, not because there's a test or I expect you to do it or just maybe you'd like to try this, one or more of these things. So... Um, I hope that the whole weekend will be nourishing for all of us. Um, and maybe we can, at times, both, both those who are, well, uh, there's more than three groups of us, I guess. Whatever level we're on, whatever step we're on, whatever tree we're standing under, um, as individuals, maybe, Sometimes we can let go of this idea of what the practice is, our concepts. The practice should be like that. The practice should be like this. If there's a reason, then yes, maybe. Uh, but if it's just an idea that a pra the practice should be a particular way, then I invite us to let go of that idea, that concept, and see what's happening right now. You know, if I see someone um, acting in a particular way that I think is not, not the way it should be, it doesn't matter how that person's acting. What happened to this? What's happening right here? Maybe I need to go sit under a tree and say, why is that important to me? Why is that concept important to me? There can be good reasons. And I think when we're looking at the idea of love in action and engaged practice, that that really has to be one of our questions. Is this just an idea that I'm holding on to? Am I standing in a place where I think it's important for me to be right? And believe me, I like to be right. So, And I bet I'm not the only person in the room, but... Um, we have to be aware of when we're, we're engaging in ways that are not conducive for the world we want to live in and we want to create and leave for others. So maybe we can start by holding our ideas and concepts even about practice a little more loosely right now. 
you know, there's the story the Buddha told about when he was asked about how to practice, he talked about a stringed instrument. And if you if you turn it too tight, the, um, the string will break. And if it's too loose, you won't get any music. So come in between those and not hold so tightly that we break the string or so loosely that we don't have the practice to support us, don't have that support. Practice as framework. That's really probably the, the most important thing that we'll do this weekend is cultivate our ability to be here. Because if we're not here, we won't be where we need to be later. We won't be present for anything in our lives if we keep chasing, if we wonder about what happens in the next moment. I have that strong planning energy, so I go that way. But you know, it's been said that when we when we abandon the present for the future or the past, then we've abandoned the substance for the shadow. And that feels very true. So to come back and grab the practice, grab the present moment fully and really be here lets us be in touch with life. So a couple of a couple of basic practices I'm going to come back to. Um, we've we've talked about conscious breathing so far, and conscious breathing is really our anchor for the practice. To come back and just be aware of breathing. I don't know if anybody has one of those uh, blood pressure machines. But you know, when you start paying attention to your breathing, if you have one of those on, or if you're sitting at the local drugstore with your arm in there, free one, uh, when you start paying attention to your breathing, you can see your blood pressure drops. Your, your conscious breathing can help you calm down. I, my theory, and I'm a doctor's daughter, so I'm qualified to give medical opinions, right? <laughs> What I think happens is that when we start paying attention to our breathing, we stop getting so caught in the whirlwind of thoughts in our minds and stories that we tell ourselves and our ideas about what is what. Because we can just rest in our breath like a hammock, in and out, just resting right there. So I'd like to encourage us to come back and rest in our breath. When difficulties arise, during the weekend, which they may, internal difficulties, external too maybe, I don't know, but in, internally a lot of times on retreat, difficulties will come up. Um, maybe they can be named, maybe not. Uh, maybe that's just a feeling that's arisen in us. Um, to come back to our breath, not pushing things away. Our practice is not about pushing away suffering. Our practice is about transforming suffering. And to do that, we have to be present with it. And conscious breathing is one of the ways that we can be safely present with our suffering. 
Sangha is one of the ways we can be safely present with our suffering because we have that collective energy as well. So we rest in our conscious breathing in these ways, but also because it helps us touch the richness of life around us and in us. So we may go look at the lake or look at some of the trees and just just breathe. Have some people read the book um, Ten Breaths to Happiness? You know this book? It's written by a Dharma teacher from California named Glenn Schneider. It's a really thin book. Um, but he talks about a practice that he developed of uh, ten breaths, um, a ten breath focus. So I think he really does 13, but he calls the book Ten Breaths. So he says he does three breaths to get started if there's something he wants to pay attention to. But apparently those three don't count. And then he takes what he wants to pay attention to. It may be the moon. It may be his wife. It may be uh, anything, anything that he wants to be present with. And then it's just there for 10 full breaths. And it, it's, it's a thin book for a reason because, I think because it's more about practicing with this than, than uh, reading about it, just like everything else we, we do. It's about practicing with it, not just reading. But you might like to try that this weekend as well. It's an invitation, not a requirement. Uh, if there's something you want to sit with, there's some amazing trees around here. I know y'all are used to them. Uh, but to sit with the tree and really breathe there and be there for 10 breaths. Why stop at three? Uh, and just practice being present, uh, conscious breathing lets us be present to life and available to whatever is right there. So we want to have that as the foundation for our practice all weekend. And then there's the practice of the bells. And I don't think any, anybody said anything about the bells last night, um, although I might have missed it. Um, but so, especially for those who are um, not as familiar to the practice, um, the bells are heard as the voice of a friend calling us back to this moment, inviting us just to pause, to stop. And it's mostly true of the big bell um, or the um, uh, bell in the dining hall, the, which is the not-so-big bell. But um, it's an invitation to just come back to our breath, to let go of our breathing, to let go of our fork if we're eating, and just come back for three full breaths and to feel how refreshing the breath is, like a cool drink of water and how it fills us and just lets us, lets us rest and touch the happiness that can be in us. So maybe we can listen to a, a sound of the bell and, and practice this way for a few breaths.
So we stop like that when we hear the sound of the bell, the big bell, or the bell in the meditation hall, um, in the dining hall. Uh, You may find that um, it's like having dessert while you're eating. It's so delicious to stop in this way. I think maybe um, before I talk anymore, I I wonder if anybody has any questions about basic practices. So the, the question is, how do you find freshness in the present moment if you feel very tired and dull and fatigued? Um, I bet you could ask a lot of people in here and get different answers. So um, uh, The first thing for me is to recognize that that's what I'm feeling, that I feel tired. And I will say, and this may be part of the reason that I changed the schedule so we don't have to stay up so late, but I find it harder to be mindful when I'm tired and when I'm, when I'm fatigued. I'm a lot more likely to be grumpy. Um, but in terms of finding fret, I mean, it, it, it depends on all the circumstances. Sometimes it can be a question of um, I'm feeling dull in this moment and just recognizing that there are other things present in me in addition to feeling dull. I I feel dull right now um, and I'm enjoying this breath or I'm enjoying the, and the lake's beautiful or or touching something that can bring me um, more positive feelings than those you described. I want to say happiness, but in that moment, especially if I'm really tired, I may not want to be happy. But I can be happy that I can go upstairs and go to bed, if that's an option. Um, I can be happy that I can go take the dog for a walk. So it's it's a question of focus. And one of the things we do in this practice is that um, it's about transforming suffering. But that doesn't mean the suffering disappears. That, that We never, as far as I can tell, we never completely transform suffering so that it, it's no longer part of our lives. It's partly a question of how we respond. So building the foundation of, um, of happiness and being in touch with happiness every day in some way um, can help us hold that difficulty when it arises. Um, it's, it's, it, we can't just be mindful this weekend and then we're done because, we, we, I mean, we got it, we passed, right? So the, I, th- I think the same thing is true for me of, of happiness, that I know that happiness supports me in difficult times, so it's important to cultivate it and be in touch with it. And then when the difficult times come, 
um, maybe I'm able to touch something that will help me hold it with more ease. Um, and maybe it's just an awareness that this is impermanent. That either I'm, depending on, on what, if it's to me dull and fatigue are different, but if I'm fatigued, then I know it's impermanent because I'm going to go take a nap or I'm going to go to bed for the night. If, if I feel dull and unhappy or just generally dissatisfied with things, I know that's going to change. So I don't have to pay that much attention to it. If, if it is, if the, those sort of feelings are arising from something that's more deeply rooted or something that does need my attention, then I would tend to, to um, sit down and look at it more carefully and recognize this is how I feel. This is how I feel right now. This is not all of me holding it that way. But also to say, okay, why do I feel this way? I feel unhappy. I had a conversation with someone at Magnolia Grove, and I was not happy about the conversation. And I went back to my room afterwards, and um, I picked up a book, and it was it was a Dharma book, so you know it had to be good, right? Except for that's not that wasn't why I was picking it up. I was picking it up because I didn't want to look at that conversation where I was unhappy um, and where I had not spoken very skillfully. So I, I recognized that. I could see that coming and I could put the book down and say, okay, I don't feel good about this. Let me look at how I feel and why. And then um, later move in. I, it was someone I could speak to with great ease and say, I know I misunderstood you. And so it's everything's so specific. So you have to look at what's going on in the present moment with that, those senses when we don't feel happy. is about self-care and I also um, my approach to our love and action focus this weekend as I told you we're not doing a workshop and writing postcards or anything like that but I think our our love and action has to start with ourselves um, what are we cultivating in ourselves what are we offering to ourselves so I don't want to focus first of all on what happens if we, when we encounter those difficulties in life because they're already present in us we tend to be I think this is true we tend to be a lot more forgiving of ourselves than we are of other people. 
so we can take it the other way around but so uh, either way it's it's um it's it's what we're doing within for ourselves either being harsher on ourselves or more forgiving for ourselves and if with our if we're harsher on ourselves um how can we expect to offer love and understanding to other people how can we have it to offer if we can't offer it to ourselves it's, it's i know it sounds like i'm saying that as a truth but it's really a question it's really a question how can we offer someone what we don't have i think it's not possible i think we can offer the semblance of love to other people what we think love looks like Tai says love is bringing uh intending to bring joy to someone else and that's part of what we were uh reading this morning in the watering seeds of joy and also in the invoking the bodhisattvas bringing joy to one person in the morning and easing the pain of one person in the afternoon that's love and compassion an aspiration to bring love and compassion into our lives and the lives of those around us um when we talk about love and action in buddhism there are three kinds of actions our thinking our speech and our physical action so we come back again our thinking might never technically leave our mouths or manifest in physical action and yet there are echoes of it there there are always echoes of it there so the question becomes what are we doing with our thinking and all the forms of action are grounded on our understanding or our view our insight one reason um i picked watering seeds of joy for this morning's reading and also did the guided meditation i did was to encourage us to engage in an experience of interbeing something that we've often i think we probably all heard some mention of um but there's a difference between if you look at this piece of paper you can name all the things that are in it right you can name the sun you can say without the sun the paper couldn't be without the without the trees the paper couldn't be or the soil or the hands of the logger although i think they do it by machine now and whatever else happens to make a piece of paper someone pressed it can say all that right you can probably name more things in a piece of paper than that or even a flower when we practice we want to go from recognizing all that in our heads to looking at it and experiencing it to really having that experience and insight of interbeing is to go beyond the mental understanding it really is like the difference between me saying something about carrot cake and you eating carrot cake 
it's not it's not the it's not the same thing so we want to try to move beyond that so in our this morning in our meditation um, it's actually six the six elements but we only got through four um, but it's we were invited to all reflect on the things that are in us that connect us to the earth that connect us to the environment around us the, the six elements we did um, what did we do we did water air, fire, and earth. And the other two are space and consciousness. What's the difference between the water that's in our bodies and the water that's in the lake and the water that's in the trees or the water that's in this wood? It's not separate. It's the same thing. In fact, I bet all of us have drunk water here And so we've had, even if it was in our coffee, we've had part of the mountain, I want to say, come into us. We have different mountains. I don't, I don't know what you consider a mountain and what these, um, these might be hills, but I don't know. We've had part of the earth come into us through our, through our uh, drinking the water. We've become part of the lake somehow. And there are parts of when, when, when we um, defecate and urinate, we have contributed to the cycle of life, which seems very odd in some ways. But that's what it is. It's continuation. Everything continues. So when we look at the six elements and we meditate on them, not just think about it. When I talk about it, it's possible to just think, Yes, I got minerals in the food that I had this morning, so there are minerals in me and there are minerals in the earth. Can you feel that? Can you feel your teeth? Your eyes? If you had carrots, they help your eyes, right? So all of that is in us. And when we meditate on it and don't just think about it, then we begin to get a taste of interbeing. Interbeing is more than just um, that we're connected. If we just think it, it it's true. We're connected. The whole, everything's connected. We can think about it that way. When we do that, it's as though we are, um, it, it's like we're walking up to a restaurant window and reading the menu. And then we may go inside and sit down and, and order something and so we have a little bit better understanding. But when we start to eat the meal, that's the experience of interview. That's the true experience. And so to meditate in this way is to encourage us to have that experience. I wake up to the song that we read this morning about water
example of those encouraging words because it encourages you. There's a lot of scientific stuff going on right now that I find mind-blowing, but I find the experience of inner being even, even more dramatically changing. Um, when I was in our, our German center, EIAB, last year, um, Sister Annabella had us do a meditation where um, we experienced this, and maybe I'll just it's very short, two practices. So maybe I'll just give it to you and we'll sit for a moment. Um, you can stretch and become comfortable in whatever way you need to. Let's just start by coming into our conscious breathing and just be aware of breathing in and breathing out for a few moments. And let's just be aware. Breathing in, I am breathing in with my mother's lungs. Breathing out, I am breathing out with my mother's lungs.
breathing in, I am aware that I am sitting with my father's spine. Breathing out, I am aware that I am sitting with my father's spine. this afternoon, I think it is, or this evening, of touching the earth that also enforces this. Um, it's a practice of being in touch with our blood ancestors, our land ancestors, and our spiritual ancestors, and recognizing their presence in us. And um, just as with the deep relaxation last night, it's one that some people may like to do in a sitting posture, 
some people may like to do it um, in a more traditional way, which is it's, it's sort of a, a guided meditation with yogic posturing. So if you're comfortable, you can do um, uh, touching the earth to the ground, five-pointed touching. But it's getting in touch with our roots. And Whatever those roots are, they're, they're part of us, even if we don't know them. My father died in his 30s. Um, so there are a lot of things that I don't know about him, partly because I was so young, but also because I didn't see him as a 40-year-old. But I see him in my brothers and in myself. And my sister. It's there. Our parents are part of us. Our spiritual ancestors are part of us. feels like an awakening, a transformation in us. It's not because we did it. We just happened to be here when it finally came up. But that, that manifestation, that understanding is part of all of our spiritual ancestry that's present in us. It manifests in us in a particular way. I don't, I don't know how many people might have been perhaps a bit baffled by the Heart Sutra chant this morning of no eyes, no ears, no, no, no tongue, no nose, no, and so forth. And, you know, the, um, there's a story told about a, a Zen master whose student came in and said, I've got it, I know there's no eye, no nose, etc., etc." And uh, he, the Zen master said, come here. And he grabbed him by the nose. <laughs> and he said, what do you mean there's no nose? He, so he, he um, seems to contradict the Heart Sutra in that sense. But this is part of the teaching about not being attached. The teaching about not being attached to teaching, which is rather circular logic. But we want to see what's alive. It's true for us. Maybe that on particular days, one aspect of our heritage is more, of our ancestry is more prominent than others, but it's all always there. And it's there even when we don't know our ancestry. It's there. It's just part of who we are. see the whole and not just see the person.
for myself and for others. From that insight, we move into the actions, our thinking, our speech, our physical actions. But they're all grounded on our insights and our understanding. for Plum Village, the logo, is uh, mindfulness, concentration, and insight. We support each other. so does the rest of the world. And so we may not recognize you until we put our glasses back. So our practice, I think, functions as glasses, that they help us recognize what's really there, that they help us recognize our true capacity. We want to we honor our ancestors' positive aspects in us, transform their suffering. We feel inadequate for some things. And maybe we can find ways to draw on our ancestors in us. To recognize the strength and beauty. aunt of the no eyebrow story. Um, she's one of the most generous. She, she died of breast cancer in her 70s and she's one of the most generous, kind people I think I will ever meet. And I'm aware that when I engage in an act of kindness, that's not me. That's Aunt Anne acting through me. And I think by acknowledging that ancestral connection, we can cultivate it and strengthen it and strengthen our ability to respond. And then we can engage with mindfulness in everything we do or have a better chance anyway. I want to say one more thing. The, um, because the doors are over that way, and when I look that way, I, the doors come to my mind. Because I've been closing the doors here um, carefully, which is one of my habits. One of the reasons it became a habit, you know, I could think about Ty's story about closing the door and getting corrected by his teacher for not closing it mindfully. 
just letting it slam. But when I was at the EIAB in Germany, the doors there are really heavy. They're made, I don't know about the walls, the doors are made to withstand 90 minutes of fire. I, I don't know about the walls, I keep wondering about that. <laughs> um, so if anywhere in the building, if you let go of the door, it sounds through the whole building because it's really a heavy door. So you really have to hold the door and when the way we, part of mindful manners is to take things with two hands. So for example, if this were a microphone I was passing, I would either do it with two hands or if someone's too far away, you may see us do this. Or things that we, when we pick up our cushions, we may like. It's not a requirement to use two hands because then we can be fully present with the cushion or, or the uh, chanting book. We use two hands. Um, but closing the doors, you really had to use two hands to keep them from closing all the way. And that helped me be really present with the doors. Um, so now, whenever I close a door, I tend to stay with the door a little longer than may be necessary because the doors don't slam here. But it's a bell of mindfulness for me. So you may find other things for you that are bells of mindfulness. Maybe it would be the doors. Maybe it'll be um, a sound outside or a friend. We can all be bells of mindfulness for each other. But see if you can't find things that will support you, your practice, the way that I'm finding my support and, and the door's not slamming. And please enjoy your practice. Tai says, if you don't enjoy your practice, you're not doing it right. I don't know if he means in absolutely every minute or not, but it's worth a try to find out.